Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Fiona Chambers from University College Cork in beautiful Ireland. Uh, she's the head of the School of Education at UCC and the Secretary General of ICEP, which has to be one of the coolest titles I've ever heard of in any organization in physical education. So um, she also is a uh, chapter author in our upcoming book on before and after school uh, programs. But today we're here to discuss the global design challenge for sport and physical activity. So we're going to skip some of the formalities here and get right into it. Uh, Fiona, can you explain what is the Global Design Challenge for us? Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks, Risto. Really delighted to be talking to you today um, about our Global Design Challenge for Sport and Physical Activity. So essentially, um, you we all know, anyone listening to this podcast will know that uh, the world is currently in turmoil with the pandemic, and particularly sport and physical activity um, is on its knees. That would be the expression that we're using. And um, there are kind of spikes in terms of physical activity um, rising in various places just because people are in lockdown, etc. But if you were to look at the broader figures across the board, we're in trouble. And um, economically, we're in trouble. And even in terms of our own well-being, we're in trouble. So um, I'd say maybe late in April, I had this um, mad or crazy idea that I would like to set up a challenge globally. Uh, which was to crowdsource um, ideas for incubation that would actually tackle the issue of sport and physical activity during and following the pandemic. So what I decided to do was to bring some people around the table to start with to see was this even an interesting idea. And I very, very quickly found out literally within one week that this was beyond an interesting idea for a lot of the people uh, that I had pulled around the table. So, for example, one of the first early adopters was Moens Kirkaby, and he is the president of the International Sport and Culture Association. And Moens is somebody who he really will not come into something unless he sees there's some value in it. So what we did then was we decided to do a bit of uh, data gathering to see where we onto something and using design thinking principles to try and figure what was the issue here. And Moens very eloquently pointed it to being fear versus social hunger as being the issue at the heart of what's going on mm -hmm. uh, in terms of people being engaging in sport and physical activity. So from all of the, the I suppose, the data analysis of our discussions with, with those people who are working at grassroots, at policy level, around the place over a very, very agile time period, we decided that um, basically the challenge was how might we sustainably redesign sport and physical activity for children and families the young and the not so young, for participants, spectators, fans and the community groups so that it is inclusive, accessible, attainable and fun during the pandemic and afterwards. Now, that is a monstrous challenge. Mm -hmm. But to ourselves, that actually captures it, though. That's how big this really messy, complex challenge is. So the next step was, um, and I had a vision for how it would actually run. The next step was pulling the right people around the table to make it happen. So I would say we probably have 40 people behind this making it real. And essentially, we worked with DevPost. Now, that was kind of interesting. DevPost are one of the largest hackathon sites in the world. And Richard Murby from DevPost was very kind to us this year and said he would offer that service for free. So automatically, we were on the biggest hackathon site for this. And we really had um, a very, very nice space in which to work. So what we set about doing was really ramping up a communications plan around this idea and getting people interested across the globe. And with that came about 22 international partners uh, from around the world, including Tefisa, 
Um, we, we also then very interestingly had a knock on the door from the World Health Organization, from UNESCO and from the Commonwealth Secretariat. And those three um, particular entities wanted to observe what we were doing because they thought it was so exciting. So we, we basically started iterating. And one of the, the guys at the table, um, uh, Benny Cullen uh, from Sport Ireland, said it was like building a plane while flying. That's how agile this project has been. So for every single phase, um, and we literally have six phases in this, we, we basically launched way, way back on the 10th of June, which isn't that long ago. Uh, we had registration open then, uh, followed by a 72-hour hackathon. Um, and we've just come through the judging phase. And the most exciting bit, really, now that we've done the judging, is where we start to match uh, the, the, the finalists and the other projects that we think are really, really good. Uh, we start to match them with the partners that are on our platform. Um, and then they go into an incubation phase. And that incubation phase can be uh, slow or fast. It just depends on, on how good the projects are. And alongside all of that, we have evaluation going on to check, I suppose, the impacts of those projects and, and basically, I suppose, an evaluation of the, the global design challenge itself. Have all the phases worked? Do, do they make sense, etc.? So um, it has been wildly exciting and we have chosen a winner just literally. That's that's why I was slightly delayed coming onto the podcast. And we have chosen a winner today and it really does. I would say the winner is exactly the DNA of what we hoped the Global Design Challenge would actually bring. And it's a very exciting moment uh, for us uh, today. So it's a perfect chance to talk to you, Risto, yeah. about Etc. Etc. It's been really good. Yeah, I I think I just got a dose of being in a classroom with you about <laughs> all of the knowledge that is in your brain. You should see the notes that I was taking of all of this information. I'm like, oh man, I got to follow up on this, 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 and this. These are really good information. And wow, that's so. Um, your your students are very lucky. All right. So yeah. before you go into the um, the winner and all this. Um, let's go back to a couple just things just to explain to people who may not know this. What is a hackathon? Yeah, now typically, if you were to look up hackathon, you typically see a software. You see it, these are typically to do with iterating new software uh, for technology purposes. Um, so hackathons, though, can be used in lots of different um, environments and they can be used to hack lots of different problems. So uh, for us, and we saw this very much in the EU versus virus uh, hackathon recently, it can hack anything. So we set a challenge and it's not a software solution we're looking for in terms of, of every every single um, issue that somebody's trying to solve. So in terms of, of the actual hackathon process itself, what we did in this particular, um, if you'd like to call it competition or, or challenge, we wanted people to uh, to use design thinking. And during a hackathon, that's exactly what you're, you're using to try and hack the problem you've been set. Um, so essentially, I provided free resources to anyone who registered for the competition. And we had 189 teams registered from around the world for this in, in a very short period of time. So they got a free webinar on that. And that formed a handrail for anyone who had uh, who wanted to hack the problem over a 72-hour period. And just to flag with you in terms of design thinking, what that means is that you're encouraging uh, those people who um, who are trying to develop a, a solution, you're encouraging them to stay 80% in the problem space and to follow particular um, data collection, I suppose, exercises to try and make damn sure you're, you're trying to solve the right aspect of that problem and it makes sense. 
So hackathons are very fast paced, um, I would say, uh, solution uh, spaces to try and hack really complicated and complex problems and try to come up with a solution quite quickly that can be prototyped later. That's the usual, the idea behind hack. And can you extrapolate just a little bit that there is a there is a saying that you or a sentence that you said, fear versus social hunger. Can you extrapolate yeah. that just a little bit? Yeah. So I'm attributing that to my, my lovely colleague, Moens Kirkaby. So what I mean by that is that people are really afraid during the pandemic to be with each other. And yet we know that people want to be with each other. That's the, the social hunger part. Mm-hmm. And the at the moment is is that particular divide between I'm afraid to be with you yet I would need to be with you in terms of my own well-health so what we were trying to do is to bridge that divide how could we make sport and physical activity um, a safe space again for people and and to try and 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 uh, resolve that that fear issue that people are, are currently experiencing and we're seeing that more and more because we don't have a vaccine yet and we're going to be living with this for quite some time so the more we can find solutions to that particular conundrum, uh, the faster we're going to come back to this new era. I, I would not say it's a new normal. I would say it's a new era entirely of how we live our lives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean by that. Okay, great. Uh, so let's go back into uh, the teams. You, you said you had a lot of different teams from across the globe, 189 people. Can you share some examples? Like what what did a team look like or what are some organizations or was it all... PE teachers or scholars or PE scholars or engineering scholars or who who were part of the teams? So my vision for this was that the, the, the more diverse your team, the better. I didn't want this to turn into an echo chamber. And if you only have PE people and sports people on teams, they may or may not spot what the, what the solution could be to, to what's going on sometimes. So what I found were that the teams were 189 teams, not people, it was actually teams. Oh, okay. And some of the teams had about 20 people on them. They came from all over the world. So there was a team, we had a team from Mauritius. I mean, teams literally from Germany, Mauritius, but I'd say up between 20 and 25 different countries. They spanned from Asia all the way through to the other side of the States, Australia, all the way, you know, literally up to the Nordic countries, everywhere. We had them from all over. But the magnificence of this was because of the pandemic, people are very, very used to reaching out and using tech now. Mm-hmm. So you had teams and, and I we gathered some some kind of feedback from them about their experience on the hackathon weekend. And that was great fun because they said we had great fun. We were we were competing in something that was really necessary and needed. Um so it wasn't a trite, like it wasn't a Zoom quiz. This was actually something important we were doing that was could really have um traction. So so in other words, they they connected across countries, across cultures, across disciplines. And the most um, interesting teams would have maybe engineers in there, policymakers, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of the types of projects, we had very, very narrow and niche projects which were around disability in sport. So maybe engineering a solution for particular types of people in sport, uh, Paralympians, um, people who were uh, playing golf uh, was another area. Others then were kind of more broad stroke and they were trying to connect uh, maybe data platforms to each other so that we could actually more easily find activities that we could do. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And for that reason, we had nine core judges, all with different expertise from tech industry, 
um, from uh, leadership, from the youth boards, um, etc., from all around the world, just different types of expertise from the core judges. And then we have um, about, I would say, 18 expert, um, experts that we call in as well. And they come from anywhere outside sport that we, you can possibly think of. We just make sure they're just from any, they're the leaders in their field in terms of um, business innovation or tech or whatever it is. So the core judges are wrapped around by by a very, very diverse uh, team as well. And the idea by having that kind of double structure means that w with these diverse projects coming through the door, we have the wherewithal to, to support them through incubation. So, for example, you might have a project that's trying to develop a particular concept um, maybe in an urban environment in the area of sport. We we have enough uh, supports um, and expertise around us that we can actually business model what that needs to be, find um, an app developer for them, uh, find a funding source for them. So whatever the project is, our added value to you if you decide to enter the competition is not, oh, you're the winner or, oh, you got through to the final. The win for you is you actually can make the project get on its feet and become tangible and actually become a reality. Often these types of competitions are, there might be a bit of prize money or the kudos of winning it, but there's never anything after it. Mm -hmm. This promises a long uh, engagement with the Global Design Challenge and and also inbuilt research to see how effective they're going to be. So it's kind of, it's, it's, um, it's really, really interesting from that point of view. And that's, when we interviewed some of our, our uh, projects just before we went into judging, that was what they said. They said, we came in here, obviously, for the fun, the connection, the whatever, the challenge. But we really came in here for the, the chance to get funding and also this this idea that we might find a partner. And what I mean by a partner is somebody like Tefisa or ISCA or um, any of those bigger kind of organizations that they might see something in us and they might want to incubate our idea. So that's why they got into the competition so a truly sustainable model of if you get to this point and if you're deemed worthy you're going to give that support going going forward which i think is um not necessarily just unique you know it is unique i think to the to the bigger spectrum i think that there are certain organizations that do that but a lot of times even if you get a seed grant from your university you do this first thing and then it's like okay go find the funding yeah, I wanted to like I think the big thing that you said there that clicked with me was developing an app like even yeah. if I have an idea who is the app developer like I don't yeah. know I don't make apps like how would I go about and find that so I find that a really uh, really cool part of of the program so let's yeah. say let's say I am part of this and I'm selected in or I was selected into the top nine um, how how do I explain? Do I give a virtual pitch? Do I send a proposal? What what did that process look like? So what we had was they literally had the 72 hours to actually put the thing together, but they probably had a wee bit more time because they registered a wee bit earlier than that. So um, at the end of the, the time, they, they basically have to submit onto DevPost. And what you're asked to submit is basically, you know, the title, maybe an acronym, uh, you're you're asked to have maybe a one-page uh, summary or a two-page summary of, of uh, what the project is under specific headings. You're asked to put in a pitch as well, a 90-second pitch. And to that end, we had a colleague, uh, Judy Russell, who provided free resources for them as well. So she conducted a live Q&A and she also provided resources for anyone who registered in how would you do a pitch. And the, the beauty of that um, was that you could do it off your phone or whatever device you had handy. She's very pragmatic around that. 
So in other words, it was very straightforward to get your idea in and across the line. And we, we said to them, we don't care how raw the idea is. We have the people around this that if we see a diamond, we're going to go and we're going to support the diamond and get it there. Um, so it, 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 it was a very, very, you know, we supported everything in terms of webinar for the design thinking process during the weekend and then this lovely pitching part because we read obviously in detail what they submitted but you always go to the pitch that's the first place anyone will go if they're trying to figure out the project and uh, so dev post provided that really nice uh, structure to allow all the projects to be uploaded very easy in terms of of the judging mechanism but the nicest part i think for us now is we're, we're now matching um the project so anything submitted at the end of the 72 hours, we're now into the matching phase where all the partners, the 22 partners on the, the site can actually see all the projects. And aside from the winner and the, the, the other finalists, they can actually go and chase them and say, right, I like the look of, of your project. I think this is what we could offer. And in, in, in that vein, all of the partner projects have to give in a statement of commitment. What are you offering? So, Tafisa, if you are going to link with a project, what's what are the type uh, types of tangible supports you will provide a project uh, to get them on their feet? And we describe it like the ballroom of romance, Risto. Mm-hmm. So, basically, this old-fashioned idea of them, you know, it is very old-fashioned, where you've all all of uh, one one gender on one side of the room and one gender on the other side, and then one will walk across to ask the other to dance. So it's very like that, except the power is in the hands of the project, not the partner. The project chooses who they would like to dance with. Yeah. And then and then off they go. And I and I wouldn't put gender norms here in asking who the partner is that has the power, but this isn't as old fashioned as you think in where uh, where I grew up, my my wife and I went to an old dance hall that is still like rocking on a Saturday night. And it is there. There's women on one side, men on one side, and then there's a light that turns on that says the guys are walking across, and then it switches to the girls are walking across. And it was yeah. like going back into, like I don't know, the 1950s. Anyway, yeah, yeah it is. It is that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah but but it's, it's basically trying to make sure that you're empowering the project. They make mm-hmm. they who who can best support them because they know their project. So does that matching phase only happen for the number one, so one out of 189, or do these organizations maybe align more with somebody else and then they go match at that stage, or how does that work? So we we have in the mix, from from looking at everything that came across the line, we have 38 projects that we, we, and of those 38, uh, nine went through uh, to the, the finalist round. And then uh, we whittled that down further. I think it, in the end, we looked at eight of those nine really seriously. Um, and then we whittled it down to a number one winner and then two runners up and the rest of them then are in the finalist bracket. So what we've seen in this, and this is back to the, the idea behind this, we, we're looking for really radical ideas here. And we've seen an awful lot of them in, in terms of the process of judging at this point. So in answer to your question, this year, we've seen merit in every idea bar one. Every idea will sing to some partner because we have such a range of partners around the table. So it means that the winner obviously is going to be the very sought after winner. And we already are wrapping a, a lot of supports around the winner because that's that's what, what they won. The runners up will, will get the similar type of support. 
um, we will be setting up um, just the matchathon phase then for all of the others in the mix. So they will all get a chance to to find that dance partner and head off and, and incubate their project. Some of them are interesting. The projects are quite raw. So they will go into incubation. Those that are a little bit more advanced will go into acceleration. And those that are really pre-raw, if I was going to say that as a new phrase, those that are kind of like they're a really nice idea, but they're really not fleshed out at all, we may snowball those ideas for next year. And what I mean by snowballing is that we would start to look at them and try to help them to get their idea tighter so that they could actually enter it maybe for the next year's competition. Uh, so we're, we're trying to really... Um, like like as you say you you could have a fantastic idea and you may not quite know how to articulate it or to get the right supports around you we're here to do that that's that's the beauty of of the global design uh, challenge platform and um, so so it really i think it actually works quite nicely it works really nicely yeah. so for those listening to this hearing about this the first time you're thinking about running this again next year oh it's an annual event we've already figured that yeah okay. we We've been evaluating it even already, and the the attention where we've got already from the, those global uh, partners like UNESCO, World Health Organization, and Commonwealth Secretariat, plus all of those big players uh, in Europe, um, in Australia, Canada. I mean, the list is endless. I don't want to forget anyone, so I'm not listing them. Uh, it's quite amazing, and um, definitely that. But the other piece that I didn't highlight, and I want to highlight it now is that we're, we're, we're tagging everything we're doing onto the sustainable development goals. So every single project was expected to map onto those and show us specifically how you can map onto them, not all 17, but the, the right, the, you know, the crucial ones, um, attending to the Kazan action plan as well, making sure that they also called out how policy-wise their particular idea was going to have traction. So we, we've really situated this global design challenge at the heart of policy globally, um, and I think that's probably why things are gathering uh, some attention in terms of, of this. So it's we're on GDC 1.0, Global Design Challenge 1.0. We're going to 2.0 now. We're already planning that. We have a, a, a really strong governance structure, a kind of um, an international uh, steering group. Um, and all the partners have said they want to stay on board and there are more knocking on the door. Um, I mean, it has been astonishing, absolutely astonishing. And it's uh, been done very, very fast. If you if you look at when you came up with this idea and put the call for proposals out and to now have this first 1.0 process to a really mm-hmm. far along part. So uh, congratulations on that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been nuts. And the other thing I want to say is my fantastic colleagues in ISF, in uh, the European Educational Research Association, uh, Network 18. Um, we also have CEREPS, we have UPEA, um, we have all of the major uh, research organizations for physical education, sport and physical activity, all at the heart of this as well. So they're all firmly um, in the middle of everything we're doing in terms of of um, making sure the research piece, because I, I keep saying, OK, like I'm I'm in a university. The reason a university is at the heart of, of this particular initiative is the research part. That's mm-hmm. the bit I'm most interested in, you know, and, um, you know, can you actually have proof of concept? Have you got data to support, uh, you know, the impact you're hoping to make with this particular thing, etc. So in other words, the research piece has been really really central for me in making sure that travels through everything we're doing. So not only evaluating the GDC itself, but also the projects within it. And that's actually been really fun because 
we've such a mix of partners. There, there are people who are typically maybe sport providers and physical activity providers, etc., sitting alongside a UNESCO or sitting alongside a university or maybe a huge um, educational body. So it's been it's kind of it's kind of nice the synergies I suppose in terms of that mix they would normally never sit at the table together, yeah. for us you know so it's actually been really interesting from that point of view. Yeah. So you have uh, you've already published this information on the website and you, and maybe you can share that website about where people can look up uh, information about the winner. Uh, but can you talk about who won this year's, who was the number one out of 189 that ended up being uh, voted in? Uh, so it's a DevPost site and you're looking up the global uh, design challenge for sport and physical activity. Um, and what I might do, um, Risto, is I yeah, might... We'll, we'll link to the notes and people can just go <laughs> right in and click on yeah. it. Absolutely, and that will really help matters in terms of getting this out there. So I can announce the name of it, of the of the, the winner this year. Mm-hmm. So the is Enner Ethics, uh, Molding Better Humans is the name of the title of the, the project. And essentially what they're doing is they're developing a measurable rating for personal and community well-being based on the World Health Organization's five growth promoting energies, thereby validating investment in sports. So they're basically coming up with a really, really interesting well-being tool that can be used by uh, any person. And it can be used um, in terms of, of the t- wearable technology, etc., to give real-time data to people as to how well they are at any point in time in terms of their physical activity, etc., etc. We felt that, when, and when you look at this on DevPost, so you can actually see any project you want on DevPost. You just go onto DevPost and click on and have a look at it. Um, this particular project was completely radical. Um, it spoke to um, to all the needs currently in, in terms of how how we are uh, measuring well-being and that data to inform policies and also practices that we're engaging in. And it doesn't exist anywhere. So we've, we've never never been seen by any of the experts that were on our, our judging panel. And uh, I'm very, very excited to say that that was our winner this year. And we'll be... Um, having fun uh, really celebrating that over the coming days and um, the next phase. So a very, very exciting moment for all of us. So um, what, was, uh, what was the thing that really stuck out to you about this project over over the others? Were there key pieces that, re- I mean, I'm sure that if you went through nine and narrowed it down and to eight, I'm sure that out of those eight, it was really hard to find that one. But what, what were the things that really, like, put this at the very top of the of the competition? I would say it's how sophisticated it is because when you drill into it, the numbers of different, I suppose, um, metrics that they're actually um, looking at in this particular project, they're, they're creating a moment where many metrics that we use to measure this type of um, well-being in itself, which is kind of a very, very uh, complex concept, the, the way that they have the synergy of, of those particular metrics connecting with each other really sang to us. And the fact that um, I would say it's, it's probably the first time we see all of those dimensions being measured in the one space. Um, and they had really thought through the, I suppose, the theoretical underpinning of how it would work. And not only that, how you would actually put it in place, how you could actually get this on its feet. In, I would say it'll take, it'll take a little bit of time to get it on its feet. But it is so sophisticated, you can see multiple applications of this particular project. 
um, into into other areas other than sport as well. So what I really liked about it was the fact, and, and my colleagues, the fact that it actually could, um, it's the translation factor. Um, it's 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 the fact that it could actually go to multiple uh, to multiple spaces. So essentially, what it's it's doing for the very very first time, it's going to measure the biological, the psychological, the social, the intellectual, and the ethical aspects of of well-being. So it's looking at the World Health Organization definition, recent definition of of well-being, and there it's it's dr- the driver, I suppose, behind it is the idea uh, for people to take better care of themselves to engage in lifelong learning about the types of educational stuff they need to be engaging in. So in other words, how do they use the data that they're, they're, they're actually um, finding about themselves in terms of this particular uh, project? Um, it also then helps them to reconnect with um, well-being opportunities in their community, etc. So it's a very, very interesting mix of data-driving behavioral change. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about well-being data driving behavioral change for citizens and that can happen anywhere and uh yeah it really really spoke to us this particular project yeah and the, the, the other the other thing i would say to you is the di- diversity of the team that came forward to, to actually to come up with this idea um, and it's not just an idea it's it's like very 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 fleshed out at this point as to what it might it might do yeah and it's 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 amazing to to see that this is something that was pitched adopted by this organization then being partnered with all of the resources that you know hopefully and most likely it will be a tangible thing that will come out of this process so yeah um, it's a it's a great it's a great system for sure and maybe maybe we'll have them on to explain their project one day I, I actually think it would be fabulous and if it with your permission Risto I'd love to offer that to them that that yeah. they could about it and get it I really want the idea to be socialized and then you see by doing that you 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 get more and more out of the woodwork in terms of of help etc mm-hmm. and more people trying to help the global design challenge make this project a a, a firm reality yeah so yeah. it's it's been really really exciting and i mean i think we were we were on a call for over three and a half hours or something deliberating on the on the projects and 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 really uh i would say it took a bit of teasing out but we had seriously good projects in the mix and this is the one that came out top. Yeah, awesome. So I guess I guess my last question to you is, what do you envision next? Like, where do you go from from here with the Global Design Challenge? Well, the most the, the next most exciting part of it is when they start matching and incubating, because then you're really starting to see things that are going to fly or or otherwise. We're going to see what happens there. I see the opportunity of um, just growing the competition to something bigger um, so that we can actually um, I would say have a greater impact across the globe. So I think this one is already going to have a huge impact. But I think we can really scale what we're doing in this particular project. We're going to uh, track all of those projects through incubation phase. We're going to be doing a lot of comms or communications around them just so that everybody can kind of follow their favorite project and see how they do. And we have a full dissemination plan across the next year as to how we share what we're doing, not only in research conferences, but in other types of environments to make sure that everybody, you know, thinks about the global design challenge and understands what we're trying to do and starts to support uh, what we're up to. So I would say it's 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 like a constantly iterative project pro- uh, process. We're 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 heading off into incubation phase, um, and we will be closing. I would say wh- what I mean by closing it off, I mean closing it off to to letting them just do their thing. 
um, we'll be closing that off probably end of August. They'll be entering their 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 incubation phase, which will go on for a number of months, etc. So that's really what this is about. It's it's telling the story of Global Design Challenge over the last ten weeks and onwards, and then planning for GDC two point zero, getting a bit of kind of momentum around that one, and uh, and getting getting our a really interesting story out there so that people hear what 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 was possible i suppose in in a very weird time that people are quite are finding really difficult and that we have managed to use it as an innovation bubble that's what's been really exciting i mean there are people sitting around the table who have never met each other before on this uh, you know the 40 people who are kind of uh, behind this never met each other and they would never have any chance to meet each other in a normal circumstance and yet this 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 challenge has brought them to the table and it's been amazing, the synergies and networking and all sorts of mad things that have come from it. It's been it's phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I love the fact that, you know, you're you're kind of like rallying the troops to support your number one winner, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the people who have really great ideas don't get the support. And I and I love that incubation period, that matching period where you're you know, saying, hey, all these organizations that want to do good and want to partner up with really great innovative projects, here they are. Like, yeah. let's get you together. So, you know, it could be possible that a number eight program actually becomes really, really successful because they met with the right partner and connect with the right resources that may have been out of out of their reach, depending on where where they're where they're coming from. Yeah, and that's it's it's it's. I keep going back to what you said earlier. All of a sudden, we we can have ideas in the in the strangest moments, and it's that ideas are the the seed for really for for future innovation. And it's trying to capture and give give people a really straightforward way of getting the idea in. And the other thing I would hope, and this is what we're hopeful of, that the DNA of the of of this global design challenge is about how we treat people who who um enter our competition, how we support them, how we help them with the incubation phase so that they want to encourage more people to come on board um, and that they firmly believe that what we're about here in the Global Design Challenge is incubating radical ideas. We're not really, you know, it's fine scaling an idea that's out there already. Absolutely, happily, we'll do that. But actually what this is about is is the radical idea, the one that really makes you sit up straight and think, I never, ever thought of that. Yeah. Um, and, and off you go. And the, and the hope that you can actually build around something like that uh, could be quite staggering. So it's radical, innovative ideas. That's what we're looking for. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing and putting on this global event. Um, let me, I'll, I'll paste these into the notes section. So uh, for the design challenge, you can follow them on Twitter at Global Design CH1, on Instagram, Global Design Challenge Sport, and then Facebook, Global Design Challenge for Sport and Physical Activity. And of course, you can find Dr. Fiona Chambers at Dr. F.I. Chambers. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. And we hope to um, stay connected on this topic and kind of follow up. And um, maybe we'll we'll help launch the, um, the next years and kind of get a <laughs> another set of 190 teams to come together. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. So, Risto, thank you so, so much. Fantastic. And enjoy your lovely holidays too. Yeah. I will. All right. I don't Thanks. <laughs> bye. See you. Bye, bye, bye. Thanks.